Let us read the, the word of God from uh, Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 28. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 28. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah, who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of all to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which, I, which is called by name and say we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and we see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name, and which which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offsprings of Ephraim. As for you, do not pray for these people, or lift up a cry of prayers for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the Queen of Heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground, it will burn and not be quenched. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and your burnt offering to your sacrifices and eat the flesh, for in the day that I bought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, 
and walk in all thy ways, in the ways that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walk in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forward from the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day. I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them, day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. Let us pray. Dear Lord, our God, we praise you and we give thanks to you for all your mercies that we experience day by day. And we confess that we are no different than the nation of Israel. We forgot your word so many times. We turn our face from you and we seek evil ways. But we are still your children and you did not forget us. You came back to us and you gave us mercy, you gave us repentance, and you gave us grace with abundance. We praise you for this. We praise you that we can stand in this house together, we worship you, and we ask for your blessing to your word. We ask you that you would send your spirit and guide us, guide your, uh, bless your word to, the, to us, and Give us your wisdom in how we understand your word and how we apply your word to our lives. We ask you to give us grace for Jesus' sake, we ask. Amen. Our text this afternoon is from Jeremiah chapter 9. verses 23 and 24. So the text is from Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Chapters 7 to 10 are considered by many as a whole, since they describe a peculiar situation in uh, Israel's uh, history. So, I w- of course, I will not go into the uh, details of this uh, historic situation, only want to give a kind of a background to show the uh, results of, uh, um, of what resulted in God's judgment. Uh, 
And of course, here in chapter 7 especially, uh, we got a long list of sins uh, that Israel was involved in. But I think this verse in chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, actually give us the answer what was the background and what was behind all these sins. And in one word, if we want to summarize the situation, it was pride and it was boasting. So pride and it Boasting resulted in all that we can see in destruction in Israel. So let me say just a few words of introduction uh, uh, about this text, because let me confess that this text was my first sermon preached in the Hungarian Reformed Church. And um, I preached on Jeremiah 7, the whole chapter, And, uh, you know, I grew up in a liberal Protestant church, and when I was 16 years of age, I was a very strong atheist. And by God's grace, I got a Lutheran uh, friend who gave me a Bible and just told me, read this Bible. And so that was the first time that I ever prayed in my life, and I asked God that he, he should show himself to me. And God started speaking to me through the Bible, and I became a Christian when I was 17. And then I went back to my, my, my church uh, in which I was baptized. And so there I, I tried to uh, give a testimony about Christ. But my pastor was not very open. He was a very strong liberal. All kinds of strange things going in that church. And after that I felt led by God to go to seminary. So I went to the seminary and when I was in my first year and I went home, my pastor told me, would you be willing to preach for us once? And so I said, okay, I would be ready to preach. And I talked with, my, with the young people in that church because before that, before leaving for seminary, I was the youth group leader in that church and I asked the young people there, would you counsel me? Would you like me to have another option of preaching in this church or would you think that I might use this option and this would be my first and last sermon in this church so they counseled me they said let it be the second option so then I realized that for years or or for many years those people there they were never really um, shown their situation. Actually, this was a big church of 5,000 members, among whom 300 people would attend every Lord's Day, the service. And among the 300 people, I knew of only one family who had Bible and who had devotion at home. So in that situation, you see, maybe from young zeal, uh, I had this inclination to be a kind of Jeremiah amongst them and just preach to them uh, about these verses from chapter 7. So I preached about chapter 7 and I tried to tell to those uh, present that it's in vain that you think that you are in the house of the Lord, in the house of the Lord. You say that you are, you are in the house of the Lord and then you go home and you follow up with your sinful lifestyle. So after the sermon, when I came down, the pastor thanked me and said, this was your last sermon in this church. So I hope I will not have my last sermon in this church. Uh, 
I still hope that uh, I can serve you with another verse now with, from the ninth chapter. Uh, and this is a very important verse to me. And uh, if we look at the history of uh, God's people here in Israel, as I already pointed out, I think uh, there were many problems there, but one of the main issues, main, of, main, main problems was the problem of sin and arrogance, of pride and boasting. So the first thing that I would like to take a notice, what things are in which we should not glory. Secondly, I would talk about the glory of God and how could we see the glory of Christ. And thirdly, what does it mean to glory in God? So first of all, uh, if you think about uh, this uh, admonition not to glory with quite a few things and in, the, uh, in these verses there are a few things mentioned in which we should not glory. And these are those things in which the natural man uh, is prone to, be, to boast. Um, these three things which are mentioned here are wisdom, strength and riches. Uh, the Jewish nation actually had come to rely on their wealth, power, political wisdom, and I can see that there are some parallels uh, with the United States, with Hungary. We thought that we can rely on this, and we became greater and greater and greater. So God tells us very plainly, let us not be wise and glory in our own wisdom. I know that today learning is an asset in which uh, most of the people trust. Of course, we value learning. Uh, we think it's important. Um, but still, let nobody boast in human wisdom. Yes, learning and human wisdom can become a great trap. Um, but still, we can realize that the highest pitch of human uh, knowledge and wisdom is still very imperfect and uh, only it gives an illusion that we are able to explain uh, everything. And at the end of the day, we still we do not know a lot of things that we should know. And in the first Corinthians 8, 2, we read, if any man thinks that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, and he ought to, uh, that he ought to know. So it, this is a very serious uh, admonition to us that we should not rely on our own uh, wisdom and knowledge. Neither let the mighty men glory in their might, uh, says the, the verse. If we understand uh, it uh, of the natural strength, of men's bodies and we understand the natural strength of the body we, we realize how little reason do we have to, to trust in our strength of course with aging everyone starts to realize that and I already started to realize that, that we cannot trust the strength of our bodies but we still live in an age of fitness and health and the physical attraction and the bodily outward might is still 
one of the best uh, advertisements, as you know, for everything. And sometimes I just wonder if you uh, look at the pictures of the, uh, some of the older uh, reform men like John Owen or Abrakel, you know, they were not very good-looking uh, guys, but they still had a very blessed uh, ministry. So I think if we trust in the might, in, in our power, this is also something that uh, God says to us, you should not trust in this. And thirdly, let not the rich man glory in his riches, says the word. Uh, of course, riches can be uh, a trap for many people. And uh, we acknowledge that riches can be gained by uh, proper means, with hard work. And so there is a temptation that I did all this work. I was able to do it. I spent day and night, and God blessed my life. And here I am. I have some riches. But still, you should remember that all that might that you had, all the physical strength, your wisdom, your knowledge, your um, capabilities, are all gifts from God. How much more all those who earn their riches uh, with not some proper effort should be less inclined to boast in their riches? Somebody inherited uh, his riches. So why should he boast uh, with those riches? And yes, uh, there are some who didn't even do anything for their riches. And some people today can get riches with very less uh, or little effort. I was uh, present at a conversation when one of our young men was boasting to an older Christian man from the congregation, look, I found a new, new job. And so this is a great job. I don't need to do anything, and they give me a very high salary. So the old man just listened to him and said, okay, I, I see, I see. But are you a Christian? He said, yes, I'm a Christian, uh, the young lad replied. So you think you, you need to boast with the fact that you get money for doing nothing? Well, there was a big silence after that. And the young man realized that something's not okay with his boasting. So we should not boast with something which is not ours. And at best, riches are uncertain. Today we have something, and tomorrow our riches are gone. And this is what the Ukrainian war is showing us, that riches cannot be trusted. I remember we had an inheritance after communism, and um, my grandparents worked hard, and they uh, left us some money. And uh, from that uh, money, uh, my sister bought a weaving machine. Uh, that was worth, at that time, the half price of a car. And the car, during that time, was worth uh, the price of a flat. So you can imagine that was a very big amount of money for an Eastern European family. And uh, in the matter of months, the money depreciated, and we had this weaving machine there 
and uh, I know that for years we kept that machine and um, we didn't do anything with it. And after like 15 years, my sister once called me and said, please take this junk and just put it away or sell it to someone. So I got $25 for it. So I was at that moment realizing that was the $25, that was the whole amount of effort of my grandparents. They worked for that much and they, we remained with this much. So I realized that how much more the spiritual things are important than the riches in which we so much trust at times. So of course the question is if uh, we cannot trust in all of this and we cannot boast with all of this. So where should we look? And uh, how can it be possible not to boast with all of that? Because we are so inclined to boast with this. And the word directs our eyes to, to the glory of God. And the word says, look to God, look to Christ, look to, the, to, to my glorious Son. So let us inquire and let us look upon him. Who is him? Because if we see his glory, I think looking upon his glory, that is the best remedy against our boasting. The the psalmist says in Psalm 44, In God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever. So we we need to look upon God. We We need to look to Christ because he is the Lord. He is the only Lord of earth and heaven, the king who reigns forever. And of course, sometimes we think about God as our creator, creator of the universe, and we realize how glorious, how magnificent he is. We look about his power, but I think we need to look more to Christ and see on the face of Christ the glory of God. And of course, if we look to Christ, we see in Christ God's glorious humiliation as he came to the earth. And God is not only able to create something big and uh, to see him in big things, but we can see him in his lowly uh, attitude. How he humbled himself to the death. You need to see his tears, his bleeding, his scars, because we were bought with his blood. So through his precious blood, our salvation was accomplished. And he became not only our savior, but our Lord, because he bought us with his blood. So do you believe that he is your Lord? Do you believe that he really bought you with his own blood? Do you believe what the Heidelberg Catechism says that you are not your own but you were bought by, a pre- by his precious blood? Because if you see that, you, you will see the glorious Lord. You will see the Lord who owns your life. And he, he's also exer- exercising his power. He's not only glorious by showing his power, but he's, he, he's showing us his loving kindness. 
some of the gender sensitive people nowadays, they try to tell us that God is not masculine. Of course, we know that God is neither masculine nor feminine, but we still, uh, that there are uh, reasons for, in the Bible, that he's called Father. And some people might think that uh, loving kindness is not a masculine trait. But of course, it is. We can see here, God, the Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings, he still loves and mercy and kindness. And he's exercising his power through his kindness and love. And of course, his judgment and his righteousness and his righteousness in all his ways. And we need to be aware of that, that we have a righteous, just God. And when, he, when we read in the seventh chapter that you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense unto Baal, and walk after, after uh, other gods, he's righteously indignant, seeing his people doing all of that. Not the pagans, but his nation, Israel. So he is a glorious God, who is a righteous God. And still, he, we read here that he delights in his mercy and he delights in his righteousness. This is our glorious God that we have. So the third question is, how can we glory in God? How can we glory in our Savior? So uh, here it says, by knowing God, you can glory in him by knowing him. And it says in the 24th verse, let him who boasts, boast in him, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. So by knowing God, we can uh, glory in him. But what does that, this mean, to, to know him? Of course, this means that we, we should know him, we should understand him, uh, spend time with God, uh, uh, know him more and more, study him, meditate on him, until you are able to boast with him. Why is it that our knowledge of God is so superficial that we are not able to boast with him? It is for this reason, that we are very superficial in how we read our Bibles and we do not spend enough time thinking about God and who he is. But of course, knowing God is more than just intellectually knowing him. Knowing God means loving God, delighting Christ, marvel at his love and justice, look at him and see that everything that he does is good, just full of mercy and love. Do you have such a loving Savior? Do you not wish to look at him and marvel at his wisdom and mercy? And if you really love him, if God's love touched your heart, you should boast with him. If someone loves you, that he gives his life for you, that you should boast with him. You should not be ashamed of him. You should go, go out and tell everyone about him. How marvelous of a Savior do you have? And of course, not only just by knowing him and loving him, but 
you, you, are, you know God when you obey him. So our wills need to be subjected to Christ by this knowledge. Let it be your prayer that you might be someone who knows God by obeying him in such a way that others would see that your life is mirroring Christ, who is manifesting in your life. Do, do things in such a way that Christ be shown through your deeds, through your actions, and that everyone would see that you are a follower of him. So let us humble ourselves. For all the instances that in which we boasted with creation instead of our creator, let us remember that we have a glorious savior whose glory is shining forth to the ends of the earth, to the dark places of Hungary, to the remote villages of Tennessee. And let us glory with Christ. Let us not be ashamed to be called his children. Let us glory in Christ and let this be our highest calling. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, Father, we give you thanks for your mercy and grace. And we thank you that although we have sinned so many times against you and we have fallen into pride and boasting, you still gave us grace and mercy to see our hearts, our situation, that we might turn from our sins and we should glory alone in you. We ask for your grace that we should be content with you, that we should watch your face in Christ. We should daily seek your face and seek your glory. And this should be a practice until the end of our lives. And wondering at your mercy, your grace, your justice, and looking upon you, we should be ready to boast with you. We should be ready to testify about your grace in those places that you have sent us. We ask this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.